It's the Naked Security Podcast. I'm Doug. That's Paul. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about the uh, iPhone Wi-Fi hack. We're going to talk about print nightmare that's been patched. We're going to talk about uh, where all those cybercrime payments go. But first, fun fact, the first person charged with a speeding offense was Walter Arnold. In 1896, Arnold was stopped in the village of Paddockwood, Kent, for going eight miles per hour, about 13 kilometers per hour, which was more than four times the speed limit at the time. There was like a chase, California Highway Patrol-type chase. Yes. Not with Eric Estrada, but with a copper on a bicycle. Mm -hmm. He was able to go faster than the vehicle (laughs) and caught up with him and somehow managed to pull him over. Probably just waited until there was a small hill (laughs) and he could go no further. So going fast in Kent is no joke, but Paul, I understand you have a joke for us. It's one of those jokes that's so bad, it's superb, and it's very, very family and child-friendly, and I hope I get it right, because I'm not very good at jokes, and it goes like this. What do you call the mathematics teacher's missing parrot? Polygon. Oh, my. Is that, or is that not a joke so bad it's tremendous? It is. Well, it's certainly bad, yes. I love it. Uh, Speaking of bad, uh, this this iPhone Wi-Fi, it's... It's always unfortunate to learn the hard way that some weird, I don't know if this is a bug or this was like programmed into iOS as some sort of fail saver. No, it's a bug. Okay. The short of the story is if you have a a network, an SSID with a a percentage at the beginning and a percentage at the end, it uh, can irrevocably- No, percentage anywhere. If it's got a percentage in it, avoid. Just one? I- I'm not sure how we many don't... you need. He okay. put a lot in because he a sure job did. worth doing is worth overdoing when you're looking for a particular type of error. But anyone who is programmed in C will know that when you have a text string that contains something like the name of the person is colon percent S, what it means is when you print this out, you're going to take a text string and where it says percent S in what's called the format string, you will replace the percent %s with the string I just supplied. When I put percent %d, then you will print the integer, the number I just supplied. Percent %f will be a floating point number, and so on. And the problem is that if you allow untrusted input to your device, such as somebody else's network name, to include what could be a format string, and then when you come to do something like log logging, you accidentally use that untrusted data as your own format string, then it means that you're letting somebody else control the way that your, for example, your error logging function processes other data that's lying around. And if you can mix up that format string, so you put, say, a percent %s where there's supposed to be a percent %d, you could persuade a program to treat something that's supposed to be just an integer, like, say, 42, as if it were a memory address. And if the program can be misled into using an untrusted, the wrong memory address, the best that can happen is it will crash. And that is what happened in this case. Okay, so you put, they, you have an SSID that's got a percentage in it or multiple, and you enter yeah, it. You might, and- yeah, I, I think and the they, one you really need here is a percent %s. He put all those weird format string values. 
in his SSID just so that he could see can I provoke a failure of any sort? If I can, then I can investigate further. That's why he started with, I think, percent P, percent S, percent S, percent S, percent S, percent N. Like it had a whole lot of percent signs. So you don't necessarily need all of them. You just need some of those in the right order mixed in with your words, like so-and-so's supermarket, but you pretend to make a mistake instead of having the apostrophe, you accidentally, in air quotes, put in a percent sign. Basically, it seems what happens is that iOS chokes on processing that format string error and it tries again and again and again and again in what essentially amounts to an infinite loop and your network setup basically suffers a complete denial of service uh, but the point here is it's not that the wireless network you connect to is going to poison you it's the name that the wireless network presents that gets consumed by the Wi-Fi initialization or setup screen and you basically get stuck on the Wi-Fi setup screen so while you could go to another app and do other stuff you can't complete your wireless setup you're locked out of your network what to do and very quickly people said oh you go to settings reset reset network settings that doesn't reset your whole phone. It's just all the wireless networks you've got in there, your home network, your friend's network, the coffee shop network, work network, etc. It just deletes all of those, including any memory, you hope, that it has of this network that it's trying to connect to that keeps causing problems. In most cases, that will fix the problem. But not in all cases, which is where this story takes an amusing slash completely unamusing turn. Okay, so this guy that discovered it, he tried this and ultimately had to reset his entire phone? Actually, he didn't ultimately need to do that, but he did. Like I said, it's sort of, it's funny now, but it probably wasn't funny for him. He's a security researcher. You know that when a security researcher creates a network ID that has percent %s, percent %s, percent %s or whatever in it, you know that they're probing for a format string bug. And it ended up that, he got to a point where he, at this point he decided, I think I've sort of discovered it's a sort of a zero day. Now, it can't take over your phone. It can't steal your data, but it can lock you out of your net, the network entirely. You can't do network settings. So technically it's a zero day. At this point, he reported it to Apple, who, of course, well, they're either working on it or they're not. Because, as you know, Apple has this this policy of say nothing till it's done and dusted. So he told Apple and he kind of had to go to Twitter and say, <coughs> Sorry, people, can you help me? I'm completely locked out. Even doing the reset setting, network settings no longer works. And in the end, there's a link in the Naked Security article if this should happen to you. There's a very kind fellow who goes on Twitter by Peace of Summer, at Peace of Summer. He's written a Python script at your own risk that can do this automatically because it's kind of complicated. He was able to make a backup of his iPhone over the USB cable you can do that to a Mac or a Windows computer. You get a big directory structure of all the files that get backed up off your iPhone. They don't have their original names. They just Their names are the cryptographic hashes of all the files. And mm -hmm. then there's a manifest database where you can go in and you have to look for the, the file, the special file. I think it's called knownnetworks.plist. Plist is like an Apple's version of XML. It's like a configuration or JSON. It's a configuration file for Apple stuff. And you have to go into that file in the backup and you have to delete all reference to any network name that has weird characters in it. 
and then you restore the backup and of course all the other files haven't changed so you're not losing anything on your phone and it restores it that basically corrects the error in your network settings and then your iphone kind of magically forgets that it ever knew about the poisoned name and you're golden again uh, so i think for most people if this were to happen to you if you're determined to try it at home you can probably recover by doing settings reset reset network settings but i would recommend against trying it for fun unless you have a phone that you do not mind doing a complete reset on if something goes wrong so you can you can make a local backup we have a link in the article about how to do that uh, directly with apple support that is, don't get tricked by this crash-tastic iPhone Wi-Fi hack on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And moving right along, is the international print nightmare finally over? <laughs> I'm going to have the answer yes and no. And because uh, that's, that's often the case in cybersecurity, right? You think, well, we've got sort of on top of this, but have we got on top of it entirely? Uh, ironically, just after we'd recorded last week's podcast, but just before it went live, Microsoft came out with an emergency patch for this print nightmare problem, which is where an outsider on your networks, you know, someone who's just a regular user on any old computer on your network can tell one of your servers that has the print spooler running, hey, I think I'd like to install a print driver. Here's a program that you've got no intention of trusting but why don't you run it for me anyway that's the essence of the print nightmare bug oh by the way i would like you to do it with a system account not just my low powered account so big panic our advice was to people in the immediate term why not simply turn off the print spooler on every server and every computer that you can because it runs by default it does mean that every time you want to print like it's on your home laptop you have to turn the spooler on temporarily do the print job turn it off again it's a bit of a hassle but it's a small price to pay for knowing that if the spooler's off this bug cannot be poked and therefore even though even though it might not yet be patched you are safe anyway microsoft came out with a patch oh good we can go back to printing loads and loads of dead trees and <laughs> turn the print spooler back on because there's a patch but maybe we all spoke a little bit quickly I mean, in the naked security article we said look we install the patch because it definitely makes a bad thing better because it does stop certain already known attacks from working but the jury's out as to whether it is a full and frank defense in particular it didn't I don't think it claimed, and it didn't patch against what's called the privilege escalation. So someone was already on your server, but they weren't an administrator or, or didn't have a system account. Even with the patch in place, they could still use this trick to promote themselves, to give themselves uh, computer superpowers. So this, that part of it was not fixed. The other problem is it turns out that under some circumstances, if you don't apply some additional mitigations recommended by Microsoft by fiddling in the registry, that you can, in fact, still get remote code execution, even though the patch is in place. So it's an incomplete, it's half a patch that is also incomplete, it seems. And I guess that's where we are. So our recommendation on Naked Security is we do recommend you apply the patch. As I said, there are some well-known existing attacks I think they've been published as proof of concept, but basically they work. So anybody can tailor them to do anything. It does protect against a whole sea of 
known and existing attacks, so you might as well apply the patch. We're not aware of it making anything worse, but it does seem that you probably still want to leave your print spoolers turned off on all your computers, or at least on as many of your computers as you can until further notice. So the print nightmare is not quite over, but what a time to go paperless. Exactly. Right? Let's That's, do it. Yeah, great idea. Give it a try. The point is, uh, it's still a bug. There isn't a known full patch yet. So you st it's not exactly a nightmare, but you still need to make sure that, from a cybersecurity point of view, you are awake. Okay, that's Print Nightmare Official Patches Out. Update now on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And normally this, type, this part of the show, I say let's take a break from cybersecurity stories. Let's stretch our legs. We'll talk about this week in tech history. But this is very much a cybersecurity story. Where were you 20 years ago this week when the code red worm started making its way through the Internet? It attacked computers running Microsoft's IIS web server and spread by leveraging a buffer overflow. So, Paul, I would like you to regale us with stories of where you were when Code Red broke out. Yes, it's like JFK and the Grassy Knoll, isn't it? Where were you when... And I, <laughs> I had recently moved from Sophos UK to Sophos Australia to work in our Sydney office, where I spent the next decade or so, because we'd opened up a new virus lab there. And so off I went to Oz, and it just so happened that I had been an employee of Sophos PTY Limited at that point for about two weeks and one day. <laughs> so I was, I was quite the new chap in town. I'd worked out how to buy bus tickets and how the train network worked, and I knew where the office was. We were right next to a, to a very handy, very pleasant pub that ran excellent pub quizzes I was subsequently to find but I didn't know that when Code Red came out <laughs> and I went into work I used to go to work early in those days because it meant I could I, I could uh, the buses were empty and I had a colleague who lived just down the road from where the office was right in the middle of town and so he used to like to come in early and he worked in support and he would get he would get a lot of the the overnight sport stuff out of the way and I walked in and he had he had that look on his face that was a mixture of delight in thinking, well, at least I have at least I have a second person in the office to help me now, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that alarm that said, Duck is not going to be happy, and he said, mm -hmm. get yourself a coffee, do whatever you need to do, definitely if you need to go to the toilet, go now, and then come <laughs> and sit down at your desk. We're going to be here for a up. while. <laughs> <laughs> and that was how it, that was how it played out. Because, um, of course, this thing, as soon as it was in, it was out. It was absolutely zero click spreading. You didn't need a user logged in. You didn't even use, need any users on the system, really, because, of course, it's attacking your web server. It takes over the web server in memory, so it's completely fileless. And the first thing it does, I think, it, what did it do? Set up 99 separate threads to go... Well, who else can I find who hasn't had this thing yet? And it would just spray itself out. And it fitted in one web request. It was a GET request with a buffer overflow in the on the GET line, and then shellcode in the body of the of the web request if memory serves. And so, it didn't even need to waste time writing itself to disk and reading itself back in. It just went into memory and then just went crazy. And I also think there was. 
uh, a defect in the random number generator in that it always generated the same sequence, uh, if I remember correctly. So the people, the, the poor people whose IP numbers were at the beginning of the list, whenever somebody new got infected, they were the first ones who got the next wave of, here we come again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. If nothing else, just in terms of network traffic, it was quite disastrous. Like huge percentage of all the network traffic in the world was this jolly thing trying to spread from anyone who got infected to thousands, millions of other computers, often the same computers over and over again. And of course, even if you'd patched, you'd still get these packets battering on your web server, yeah, like a kind of built-in distributed denial of service attack. Uh, and if you hadn't patched, then it was denial of service and remote code execution all built into one. So when you're analyzing this, when it's breaking out, are you, are, what's your mindset? Are you like, this is unique or this is new? Or are you like, are, are you like sort of impressed by it? So you have to have a little bit of grudging respect. My gosh, they packed so much into so little. At the same time, when you look at the code, you think, you knew. When you said, let's have 99 threads. When you said, let's try and spread everywhere all the time, you'd made your point already. To go and make it an extra 20 times is excessive. To make it another 1,000 times is really going over the top. To go and do it another 1,000 million times, well, it's hard to have much respect for that. And that's all I'm saying. <laughs> it didn't steal data. It didn't scramble files. It didn't delete things. It didn't do any of the stuff that modern cyber crooks would do. It defaced your website with a message, something like hacked by Chinese or something like that. But because its goal was to show how clever the programmers were, how quickly it could spread, that alone was more than bad enough. And it was indeed, as my colleague had suggested that fateful day in Sydney, it was very, very, very late indeed when I went outside to get the bus home. <laughs> and I think I may have been the only person on it by that time night. Well, there's, that's a silver lining. You have to fight yes. the crowds. Well, the problem with night buses is sometimes some of the other people may have had a lot more to drink than you have. But uh, that's so true. I made it home unscathed. All right. So if we stay with this uh, buffer overflow theme, we, we, we get a question a lot that you've turned into a, uh, a post here called, where do all those cybercrime payments go? And uh, not to spoil the punchline, but... A lot of times they go back into cybercrime. Yes. Sadly, we've had this uh, the third time we've had cause to write about this on Naked Security in the past past few months. Uh, the first time, and we spoke about it on the podcasts, if you remember, Doug, was when the Reveal guys, those are the, those are the guys behind uh, that whole Kaseya thing, where they said, oh, mm -hmm. we'll give you a universal decryptor for everybody. It'll only cost the whole world 70 million dollars if you don't mind those guys last year they injected a million dollars in cash bitcoins at least in advance paid up front never to be recovered guaranteed payout for somebody for people who wanted into a cybercrime forum saying hey we want people with specific skills and we don't want any time wasters and to prove that if you are good you can make big money Here's a million dollars. We're putting it in the in the in the sort of slush fund of this underground forum. We can't get it back. It's sitting in the forum pot. So we're committed to pay at least that much. And the particular skill they were after, it seems, as well as C sharp programmers, a lot of malware was written C sharp, 
They also wanted people who knew about virtualization. But in particular, particular skill, the Revil guys were after, they want people who are really good at using and abusing backup software. See if you can work out why they might be interested in that. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> because, of course, they want people, they want affiliates that when they're breaking into your network, that they know how to find what backup software you're using and how to ruin all your backups before they unleash the ransomware, making it even more likely that you may end up having to pay. We wrote about the Klopp ransomware guys. Well, they spent a lot of their money on fast cars, it seems. And now we've just written about another chap on a, presuming it's a chap, on, a, on an underground forum who sort of copied the Reveal crew. And he put in, I guess it was a million dollars in Bitcoin when he paid it. And the value went down a bit. When I measured it, it was roughly $880,000 worth. Again, like the Reveal crew, paid in up front. And he wanted a different set of skills. What he was after was somebody who could provide him with remote access trojans or bots or zombies that weren't detected. So basically what he's saying is, I don't need to know how to write ransomware or malware, probably not ransomware, could be any sort of data stealing, key logging, bank account hijacking malware. But what he wants is something that gives him general control over a computer that he can kind of guarantee when you give it to him, you've gone through all the what you might call air quotes due diligence that it won't be detected by a wide range of security tools. So he's asking for someone who knows how to play the cat and mouse game. And uh, he was also particularly interested, saying that the million dollars is kind of the proof that he's got at least that much to spend and up to two million dollars extra, up to three million dollars. If you can bring him a reliable zero click, zero day Windows remote code execution exploit. How rare is something like that? Like if he's offering three million for something like that, that must be very hard to pull off. They're not super rare because you know we write about remote code execution zero days sadly more frequently than we might like on nakedsecurity.sophos.com but certainly they're not like they were in the code red days basically if you could if you could find a stack buffer overflow it was often very very little work maybe half an afternoon's work to weaponize that as to use the sort of paramilitary terminology of that cybersecurity seems to like turn it into a workable exploit that could basically break in on any similar Windows system. So I guess he's just saying, look, I've got that much money and I'm willing to pay it because it will give me a head start. And, you know, he, he's asking for by zero click. We talked about that in the context of Code Red. That's where you don't need a user to do anything, even if nobody's logged in. And that's what this person is after. And is claiming that he's willing to spend $3 million, if you don't mind. And while some of that may be bluster, it looks like the first million dollars isn't, because that's already on deposit, if you like. Well, and ostensibly, if he can get code that can that can run an executable without uh, triggering the user account control pop-up that says, like, are you sure you want to run this? That would be hugely valuable. Yes. You might even not use it to break into a network. But you can imagine if you're a ransomware criminal, you might rely on old school techniques like phishing or bad choice of RDP password or SSH server that everybody forgot about or VPN that never got patched. There are lots of different ways that you can get in and you get your little beachhead. Now, if you have a zero click remote code execution attack 
that you can use on somebody's LAN, you know you're going to reach the goal of being able to scramble or ransom as many computers as you can because you don't have to persuade any users to do anything from that point on. So you can see why something like that might indeed be worth that sort of money to a crook if at the end they're hoping they're going to be able to squeeze someone for $11 million in ransom. And if they do, then one imagines they can take $3 million worth of those $11 million, because I guess they don't have the hassle of paying tax on that, uh, <laughs> to buy the next zero-day, zero-click exploit if one is available. Yeah, if you've ever wondered where the money goes, some of it goes on fast cars, some of it doesn't. And so there's a part at the end of the article where you talk about Colonial Pipeline, like, we, we, like, so the the advice is to like we we'd love to say don't ever ever pay the ransom but we can't in good conscience say that because it depends on your situation but colonial pipeline did pay this ransom they got this uh recovery key that was like super slow to un to de decrypt everything and then we had a question from a reader that uh, uh paraphrase said so colonial pipeline pays for this uh decoder that goes too slowly but it contained the keys that we need for decryption. Why couldn't someone take those keys and program a more efficient decoder using the keys? That's an interesting question. There are several answers. Firstly, perhaps no one was asked. Secondly, it seems like trying to do that in the Colonial Pipeline case would have been a complete waste of time. It would have been like going out to run a race at an athletics meeting realizing oh golly i'm not up to scratch getting trounced coming in last and then figuring well i'm going to fight i'm going to pay someone to run the race for me except the race has already happened you've already lost <laughs> so colonial pipeline took a gamble i imagine they think well we've got backup we can restore that's going to take a while maybe if we've got the decryptor maybe we can speed things up a bit i don't see how taking a failed decryptor and then getting someone in a tearing hurry to try and convert it into a faster decryptor just because they've now got the decryption key is going to solve the problem that they were actually trying to solve, which was one of time. And you'd be taking such a great risk, wouldn't you? And the last problem is that there's no guarantee that just because you have, say, a decryption key, that you can write a faster decryptor. That's a bit of a myth. It depends on how the crooks have written their code. A few years ago, I was involved in looking at some ransomware where the crooks decided, because it makes the code easier, instead of using AES to do the encryption at the file level, byte by byte, which is pretty quick, they actually used RSA, public key encryption, to encrypt the entire file. Hmm. You can actually do that with RSA. It's not recommended because it's super slow. Normally what you do is you generate a random key you then do the encryption fast with AES, and then you do one encryption with RSA to encrypt the secret key. But they decided that's too complicated. It doesn't matter how slow it is. If the person's lost their data, they're just going to have to wait. And they did the whole encryption of every byte in every file using RSA. As a result, you couldn't speed it up. They built it to be slow, and therefore the decryption was going to be slow no matter what you did. Well, that's depressing. Yes, sorry, that didn't end on a, well, on a cheerful note. But the good news is that, well, it's a small matter of $4.4 .4 million. 
some of which was recovered in bitcoins, though they'd lost an appreciable amount of their value, which is another part of the, oh dear, we really shouldn't laugh. At least, it seems Colonial Pipeline did have backups that they could use to restore. It took them longer than they thought, but at least they did, in the end, have a fighting chance of doing it. At least they weren't up you-know-where creek without a Mm -hmm. paddle, any paddle at all. And so don't be that person either. Make sure you've got backup and make sure that you've practiced restoring them. Because not just ransomware that could require you to restore tens or hundreds of computers suddenly all in one go. And if you're good at restoring computers in your IT department, provided that you never have to do more than maybe one or two a week, you probably haven't got your backup and restore process quite where you need it to be. Because there are very many reasons why you might, with the best will in the world, and even without a ransomware attack, need to do tens or hundreds or even thousands of computers in a single day. Well, it's a great story. Uh, if you'd like to read it, it's uh, Where Do All Those Cybercrime Payments Go? That's on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And we will deftly slip into the oh no of the week. On Reddit, Thespis377 writes, at my previous job, I worked for a university as a network engineer. It was a large campus with lots of agriculture. And because some of the distances between buildings and the nature of the farm on the south side of campus, fiber was not run everywhere. Oh, they thought it might get plowed through. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Just cutting up fiber all the time with your, ro- with your uh, combine. Yeah. So um, basically they, they ran um, one building that was far away. They ran with a point to point wireless link. So the shot was it's just over a mile in distance and everything worked as expected normally. And they really only had issues on rainy days. So, yes, I was going to say, I bet you it's rain. Yeah. <laughs> Several reasons for that. But one bright, sunny day, we get a ticket. Internet is out at the farm building. We go out there. Everything looks fine. We leave a few days later. Same thing. OK, that's odd. A couple of weeks later, we get the same report. We think maybe foliage from a nearby tree is causing issues. It was springtime, and the link was installed during the winter, so we trimmed the trees. We're still getting reports of outages. We realign the access points. It doesn't help. What gives? One day in late summer, some coworkers are out there and noticed a very large bull laying on top of a hill, the same hill that the wireless link shoots over. Light bulb. They ask about the bull and are told that this is his favorite place to lay down. Face palm, they raised the APs higher in the air and the problem went away. So he must have been just in the Fresnel zone, just enough to, to cause a, a slight disturbance. Yeah, disturbance in the force. It's, uh, yeah, it's funny how much uh, free space you need below and above a point-to-point link with wireless. You think it's a straight line, but actually there's a sort of there's a sort of rugby ball shaped envelope that stretches out each side of the of the of the line called the Fresnel zone, which is uh, which basically needs to be clear for certain sorts of interference not to happen. Can you imagine like your first your first support call for IT? Someone hands you a cattle prod. And so, <laughs> Go move that fella. <laughs> your first ticket. Your first ticket that comes in. <laughs> Why did I ever think? Oh, I thought God. IT would be safe. Animals don't care about your Wi-Fi. If, if there's anything I've learned, they they don't care. Well, they might. All you have to do is go and ask. Mm-hmm. Ask the bull. Well, 
If you have an oh no you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles, or you can hit us up on social at Naked Security. Until then, for Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you until next time to stay, stay secure. secure.